Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So if you're uh, joining us today for the first time, um, you're jumping into a series that we've been in. Um, someone asked me recently, how do, I, uh, how do I like being in a series uh, this long? I said uh, I was ready to stop three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, I'm not used to these long, stretched-out series. I like to do, uh, get in, do what we got to do, and get out. And um, so this has forced us to sit uh, for a season, really discussing personality and the idea that if we're to take every thought captive, obedience, obedient to the mind of Christ, if that's supposed to happen, how do we do that when uh, most of our interaction comes with people that we don't fully understand? And so what we're doing is we're breaking down the, the human personality and we're using a tool that's called the Enneagram. The Enneagram is not God, it's not the Holy Spirit, but it seems to give us a great diversity um, with which to, to, to look to the scriptures and to say, okay, um, for these types of people in my life, what are they battling? How do they uh, react and respond to the world around them? And then if I'm in their world, if I have a friend who has that personality, how can I come alongside that friend? What should I know about my friend to be a better friend to them? And so we've been walking through um, each of nine personalities. We started um, at the number one, just so it's easy to remember. And then we're, we're looking at the virtue, like what, is, what does that personality bring to the table? And then also the vice, what are the challenges that that personality may battle that others maybe don't battle at that level? And then we're looking at the, um, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're saying that the fruit of the Spirit it has something to offer every single one of us. Now, some of us, we have a rest fruit, of a fruit that we kind of more gravitate to and we feel good because we say, oh, I see myself in that. But then we also have a stretch fruit, kind of a, a fruit of the Spirit that we really don't go to unless we're intentional. Now, with all of these personalities, all of them can be used uh, for harm and all of them can be used for good. Um, all personality types have a shadow side as well as a healthy side. So on one hand, we have uh, within us, we're the imago dei. We're the image of God. We're image bearers. So when you look at a friend, when you look at a stranger, you're looking into a peak of the image of God, God on earth. This is why people don't have to earn our love or respect because as believers, we believe everyone inherently has the image of God and therefore they have inherent dignity to us. And so um, we don't damage image bearers, and everyone is an image bearer of God. And so theologically, that's what we believe about people. And so they deserve love simply because they're God's children and God's reflection. Um, but then, in addition to having the fingerprints of God on us, we also have the fingerprints of sin, fingerprints of the flesh. And so every personality type, no matter which one it is uh, in the spectrum, every single personality type can either glorify God through that personality or they can glorify the flesh in that personality. And you can take every personality type to an extreme. And so what I've been warning you um, the last few weeks at the beginning of each talk has been uh, be careful just because you know a person's number doesn't mean you know anything about how healthy or how unhealthy they are, how close to Christ they are and how much work they've done on their personality or how distant they are and how much they're just completely oblivious to their personality. Um, people can use all of these for good or evil. And so if you have a one, they, the, the one 
has a, a kind of a, a childhood wound that things are in disarray. And I think things will, will be more peaceful if we put a framework on everything. And so they have a framework of the law that they lay on everybody, but it's their law. It's their ways of right and wrong. And if you don't live up to it, then you're going to face the consequences. The two, uh, the two is, is very, very helpful, but the problem is, is that the two often is helpful so that they could receive back. And so they can manipulate situations in order to receive love. And you might think they genuinely love you when really they're loving you in order to get from you. The three can be kind of oblivious to your needs and pretend like they don't even have any needs. In the meantime, they just charge right past you and they take shortcuts and, and they want to look the best in the room and they play the part. And so sometimes they get ahead by manipulating situations and, and looking the part. Um, the four can either be bring beauty to us. Most fours end up being artists of some sort. And so they come out and they decorate the world and they make it uh, gorgeous and they make it appealing. But also the four has a very deep deep shadow side where they have a joy and a fascination in death and sickness and, and, and uh, evil at times. And so they have this, this, this big gap between emotions. The five goes inward, and some of us might say, well, just because you're inward, you're, you're standoffish, but maybe it's a way for them to feel healthy. So they like to figure out problems. They're the engineers. But the challenge to the five is that they can be harsh and they can be cruel and they can be mean-spirited um, because they think that they know it a whole lot better than you do. The six we talked about, the six is a, a fearful type person. So based on their fear of the world, they'll set up boundaries and structures to try to control things. And um, they'll, they'll basically be the ones that stand on the front porch with a shotgun with ADT monitoring everything. And they want to make sure everything goes well. So they're always trying to point out problems in the world, mainly because they're afraid of being hurt. And so, but the problem is when they're pointing out everybody's problem, they don't always get it right. And so they become paranoid about everything and everybody. And so they can cause some damage that way. The sevens we talked about last week, the sevens are people that uh, they, they experience joy to the full. You need some sevens in your life. But the problem is sevens don't want to acknowledge that anything ever goes wrong. And so they can get themselves in a lot of damage and a lot of situations. They're a lot of fun, but uh, man, they're, they're, uh, they're really... They need to be more risk-averse than they are. They take a lot of risk, and they don't really think about their consequences. And so they can kind of be very, very flippant. And then today we get to the eight. We're going to talk about the eight in a second. And then we'll do nine next week. Nine is a, a, peace, a peace person. Um, but the big challenge with the nine is while they're peaceful to be around and they're a great joy to be around, the challenge is they need to know more about themselves and, and be able to put their own voice out into the world. Many of us don't have a problem with that. You can't understand why a nine would be a nine. Uh, because you talk so much, but the nine uh, will go along to get along because they want to find peace just by making everybody happy. And so and when you look at that whole sphere, you can see that, that God can use all of those personalities for great good in the world to bring, bring uh, the glory of the Lord into the world. But God uh, it looks at us too and can see where the enemy can use all of those personalities to bring harm to others. It's not about what number a person is and whether or not they're good or bad just based on their number. That's not fair at all. But what it is, is, is it's how are they using it and how are they growing and are they pursuing Jesus in it and do they understand themselves? I'm a big proponent of self-awareness and understanding self because if I don't know the lenses that which I view the world, I'm just going to stomp on people without realizing it. And so it's so important that you get to know what's in here before you try to project onto the world out there. And uh, the world needs it. And it's a part of taking every thought captive to the mind of Christ. So today I want to talk to you about the eight. 
And in the eight, we've, um, we've jumped back into the gut triad. As we look at the, the numbers, eight, nine, and one, they experience life right here in the chest. They're, they're in what's called uh, the, the gut triad. They feel life. They just feel it in their gut. They're intuitive. Um, and they always have anger lurking just below the surface. They handle it differently, but eight, nines, and ones are all in that triad. Then you have the two, threes, and fours. They're in what's called the heart triad. They're experiencing emotion in, a, emotion in a big, big way. They process the world through emotion. And then we have five, six, seven. They um, process through the head. So the head, heart, and the gut are the different groupings of personality. So today we re-enter the gut triad, which where we were when we started this whole thing off with the one. And in the head triad, I got a little riddle for you. What do these three names have in common? Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., and Donald J. Trump. You would have never thought that they have that in common, but they are all eights. Mother Teresa is often confused with being a two, but eight goes to two when they're at rest. But when you go and you read anything about how she ran um, her, her, uh, her service to the world, it was anything but a two. It was very much leader-oriented. It's going to be my way or the highway. I'm in charge around here. And, and Mother Teresa put herself out there for other people. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King was the same way. He had no problem leading at the front of the pack. He had no problem standing up and telling the government, telling racists exactly where they can go with everything. And he had no problem taking that lead and, and being a big, boisterous uh, eight. And then Donald Trump also has that same, I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody what I think, and it's going to be my way, and you could take it or leave it type of attitude. Now, I'm going to leave it to you to define about you know, how healthy each of these people were in their lives. I'm not getting into that, but it is true that they all rest there. So here's what an eight is. A type eight, the primary focus of attention, taking control to protect, to protect themselves and others from vulnerability. So the eight doesn't necessarily have to be in control, but the eight definitely will not allow you to control them. And so because they're so afraid of being controlled, they will at times assert themselves maybe even more than what they might need to for the situation, and they can come across as a bull in the china shop. But what's happening on the inside is that every single personality has this, this childhood wound that they're battling against, this desire for peace. And so the eight has a desire for peace that comes from, hey, there were people who were in control of me at one point in my life, and they damaged me. And because I've been hurt by being vulnerable, I'm going to create a turtle shell that defends me and protects me from having to be vulnerable so that I don't expose myself to getting hurt again. Now, the more or the less an eight understands this about themselves, the more or the less they're able to be relaxed and calm and not domineering over other people. But the less, if a person is less aware, less self-aware, they will think the only way they can stay safe is if they're dominating the person in front of them. And that can become extremely damaging. There's a, an aspect of Enneagram, it's a posture aspect. 
And so there are personality types that when there is challenge, when there is uh, conflict, there are personalities that will lean in and be aggressive and assertive. There are personalities that will just be compliant and kind of go along. And then there are personalities that will back off and retreat. The eight, can you guess which category they fall in? The eight, the seven, and the three respond to conflict and challenge by leaning in. They say, hey, if there's going to be a battle, I'm going to go first. Whereas other personality types say, hey, I'm going to sit this one out. More compliance. Or, hey, I'm going to step back. I don't, I don't want any of that drama. So the eight, seven, and three, they'll lean in and, and they go for it with gusto. But the type eight is known as, as kind of the, the stronger of all the types, has the most amount of energy to throw at the world, and, and frankly is kind of oblivious to how some of their energy can land on other people. A constant need to look strong and independent. This is the hidden struggle of the type 8. A constant need to look strong and independent for fear that I'll be harmed or betrayed if I expose my tender side. The overall distrust of others who have the potential to hurt, mistreat, or control me. The burden of always playing the role of vigilant protector of both myself and others. The childhood harm, as I alluded to, is that leaders or adults in their lives who were supposed to protect them didn't. The world in chaos around them needs leadership. And they looked and they, they discovered as a child that there are some that lean in and they don't get bullied and there are others that, that uh, don't do that and they get pushed around. And so they've decided to go ahead and lean in. Um, another thing that eights have usually is a desire for uh, justice and to protect the weak because an eight understands that they can lean in and they can survive conflict and they don't really mind the, the, um, the dance. Because of that, what happens is they'll look around at the world and they'll notice, hey, there's other people that are getting pushed around. And so the eight will lean in to conflict a lot of times when they're healthy in order to protect the weak or the vulnerable. And so one of the ways you can tell an eight, uh, as far as health and growth is just how much of that are they doing? How, how much are they putting themselves out there for the, the sake of people that can't defend themselves. If they're not doing a lot of that, and all of their gusto is all about them and their ego, that's not very refined and not very developed. But if like a, a Mother Teresa type is so in tune with injustice in the world, they'll put themselves out there and say, hey, I'll take the arrows for the sake of these other ones. You're not going to harm them. And they don't mind being bold and strong and forceful in order to protect others. Eights are forces of nature. The Enneagram type eight. Eights are forces of nature. Even when they're physically small, they tend to be large in stature, reputation, an energetic presence, and personality. They value being in control. Taking a follower role can be difficult for an eight when there is no leadership or there's bad leadership. They find it difficult to let down their guard, yet they're often quite sensitive, caring, and protecting of individuals that they have taken under their wing. Eights pursue the truth relentlessly, and they mask vulnerability with a tough, certain, and no-nonsense exterior. Their energy is powerful and often comes across quite raw. And so the eight, they'll come and, and they'll put themselves out and then they look around at the situation. An eight will read the room very quickly and decide who's the leader, what's the rank, what's going on here. And what basically an eight, if they're in your organization or if they're in your family and they don't believe that the person who is talking the most or seems to be leading, if they don't believe they're competent or caring, the eight will just run through and become the leader. Or they'll bounce and they'll say, I don't want anything to do with this group because this is chaos. 
but the eight is either going to become the leader or, or they're not. There's a joke about the eight that um, you, you put an eight in a startup job, two weeks later, they're going to be a manager. Like they just don't have the ability to sit behind nonsense. And so, and they also don't have the ability to keep their mouth shut. So usually an eight will just force their way into uh, leadership. Sometimes because depending on where they are on the spectrum, sometimes because of their own pride and ego, which would be the negative side, other times because they just feel like that they could make the whole room better. The other thing about all these personality types we haven't dug into a lot, but you should take into consideration, is that there are three subtypes essentially for everyone. There's 27 subtypes. And what you have is you have what's called um, the, the, the social sexual one-to-one. So the one-to-one is what they call sexual SX, and then you have self-preservation, and then you have social. Self-preservation, all these numbers, Self-preservation looks after, and they use their personality primarily for what it says, self-preservation. I'm all about me. The one-to-one, or the, what's called SX or sexual, the one-to-one says, I'm all about the person right in front of me. And then I might move to the next person and right in front of me. And these are the people that seem to always remember you when you walk in. It's just like, wow, they really, they're into me. It feels like the world stops when I talk to that person because they're really into me right here. And we love those type of people because they make us feel incredible. But all of the numbers have that, that uh, opportunity, self-preservation or one-to-one. And then lastly is social. Um, social grouping is the person that's looking at the order of the room, the order of the organization. And so all of these personality types break down into groupings that are either all about themselves, which is not a bad thing. If you've been harmed, if you've been uh, abused, it's actually a healthy thing for you to, to be about yourself right? Now, what you live out of that, it's, it can be healthy or unhealthy, but it's not always bad to be self-preservation. But then also one-to-one, they used to write it as, as um, sexual, but people thought more physically sexual, and that's not what it's about. It's about intimate relationships. It's about, I'm not about me, but I'm also not about the huge group. I'm about one-on-one relationships. And so um, the, the sexual or the one-to-one person is intense with one person at a time. And then you have the social order. They use that personality type for the good of the group. And so they're always looking and say, for the good of the group, how do I act as a one? For the good of the group, how do I act as a two or a three? Or in this case, an eight. So it's important that you keep that in mind too. So just because you know a number, you, have, you really don't know a lot about um, how that person operates fully unless you saw their raw scores. The type eight is an active controller or protector. At rest, uh, goodness. Their vice is lust. And their stretch is gentleness. Their stretch fruit is gentleness. The strengths of an eight. Leader, they're direct, forthright, self-protective, active, driven, persistent, autonomous, confident, strong, influential, hardworking, fair, just, competent, magnanimous. Those are the strengths. The weaknesses to the eight. The eight experiences life as basically hostile and threatening. They can have an inordinate fear of being controlled. A non-resourceful aid is vengeful, macho, a get-even type, owled, gruff, uh, bullying, insensitive, non-listening, callous, rigid, dictatorial, and confrontational. This is how an aid can come across if they're not very um, uh, refined or healthy. The vice of the aid is lust. While our common use of the word points to sexuality in, in the word lust, lust as an aid is living in excess and going to extreme. While the seven may want to have different experiences, the eight wants to experience more fully whatever it is that they like. 
Instead of taking in, it's more about expanding out. If it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. The eight is often clueless as to where they end and others begin. Quick to respond, the eight can overreact and come on too strong. The eight can come across as too much, too intense, and unwilling to self-limit. And so with an eight that has a self-awareness challenge, this is the prototypical bull in the china shop. Um, they really sometimes don't even realize how big their personality is and how intimidating it could feel to other people around them. And so the more aware they get, sometimes they'll say, hey, I do understand how big the personality is, and so therefore I will use it for the sake of whatever the cause is. If it's healthy, they're going to be using it for the sake of the good for others and protection of others. If it's unhealthy, it's all about themselves, and it's all about making themselves look better to everyone around them. And so it's important as you get to know an eight to figure out kind of how are they using their strengths. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Gentleness. The eight has to work on gentleness. Eights are transformed when they can experience the vulnerability and tenderness of their own innocence. This innocence is a straightforward truthfulness that is direct and disarming. The redeemed eight finds their way forward by embracing their hurt and pain, and they're able to relinquish their fear of being controlled again and to suffering pain. Through this innocence, they can approach the world with gentleness. The, reform, the redeemed eight can approach and respond to others in a way that is gentle because they can give mercy and grace instead of revenge. So for the, the eight, gentleness is difficult because as I, I said, their personalities, the eight is just so big. Um, the eight is, is kind of pushing in, leaning in. And so understanding, hey, uh, your personality is impacting all the personalities around you. Can, can you keep me in mind when you come into contact with me? Gentleness. Uh, a redeemed eight is going to say, hey, I'm, I, I want to keep in mind the people around me. I don't want to so overdo it that I'm hurting people unnecessarily. Now, the eight would also say some people need to be hurt. <laughs> they don't have a problem doing it if it stands up for justice of somebody that's being mistreated. They don't mind being the person in the front. A potential eight in the Bible, now it's really, get behind us in a big way, um, Samson. Um, Samson's a huge eight. Very, um, not only strong physically, but, but uh, that, that power and that desire. What was Samson's downfall ultimately? Uh, a lust. Just taking in more, um, going after uh, more. Similar to last week, I want to talk to the eight more directly. And in 2 Corinthians 12 is where I want to read a passage today that could really help an eight in terms of your understanding of, of uh, how to be redeemed in Christ and what should lead if you are an eight. This passage um, is Paul's sharing a testimony. Now, I, I would look in, at Paul's direction as another that could potentially be an eight. Um, Peter is another eight. I know um, a lot of eights would look at those two and just say, hey, I see a lot of myself in there. And um, so Paul's going back, and if you read his story, he, he was so involved in so many things, so smart, so strong. He was the one that persecuted Christians. Um, the Lord redeemed him, um, but kept a lot of that brashness you still see in his writings later. Um, but in the meantime, still trying to redeem him constantly. 
And so it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't like Paul lost his tenacity or lost his bigness. He transferred it over into um, being redeemed by the gospel. And he ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And here he is dealing with the church at Corinth. And if you knew much about this or you read, um, read his letters to the church at Corinth, you realize this is a really messed up group, a really, really jacked up church. And most people, when they go, oh, I just, I just want to go to a church where it's just like the New Testament. It's like you're crazy. Like you haven't read the New Testament. Like you don't want to go to a church that's in the New Testament. They, they, all, they all burn up anyway. So, but you look and you read Corinthians and he's having to deal with really a lot of junk and a lot of stuff. And so he's, he's having to, um, to battle with them. But he comes to this place in 2 Corinthians 12 where he talks about something God did in him. And this shows a redeemed quality of a person that might be a big personality or might be uh, more of, of an eight aggressive, assertive style. But this is the redeemed side. This is what happens when God can do work in you. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, which is ironic when you read uh, uh, commentaries about this. Um, the man in Christ he's talking about is himself. But instead, it, because it, you, you just find that this guy's been wrestling with this idea because he talks in other places. He's like, hey, if I was to boast in the law, I could boast more. I did this, I did this, I did that, I did that. And now we come over to 2 Corinthians and he's just like, well, I know a man in Christ. I'm not going to necessarily say it's me, but it's me. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except for my, of my weaknesses. Though, if I look at this, though, you ever have people in your life like this? I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna boast. But if I did... Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, <laughs> so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited. Oh yeah? Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited. On the other side of grace, we can care and share with gentleness. You, you can almost see Paul here wrestling through how he's sharing. He's been instructed to share a greater truth. But even in, if he's, as he's unraveling this truth, you can sense, well, in the body, out of the body, I don't know. I'm going to tell you about a story. 14 years ago, this happened. But it, but it, it might not be me. And you can tell. And it, but if I was to boast, it wouldn't be a fool because I'd be telling the truth. And so you could see this wrestling match on the other side of grace. A person that's in charge. A person that's a leader. A person that goes in and sets up churches practically everywhere he goes. A person that goes in and has no problem uh, having the, 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 the book thrown at him. A person that, that goes up and stands on trial over and over. And you just look. A person that's been shipwrecked. Been through hell and back. And this person who's, a, who's an aggressive, strong leader. 
but telling you about it from the other side of grace. They're telling you about this story from the other side, saying, you know, there was a time when I was the one that was like, you know, I want to kill every Christian. I'm going to be that guy. But now here he is and he's reflecting and he's saying, you know what? The Lord had to do something to me so that I wouldn't be conceited. I um, constantly tell uh, people, especially in ministry, be wary of following a man or a woman who doesn't walk with a limp. Because the, the eight bravado, the eight bravado can come across so strong and so confident and so direct and so blunt and so in your face. But the redeemed eight will always have a limp. The, the, the redeemed eight will be an eight that says, yes, I have all of these strengths, but the Lord has done something in my life to keep me from becoming what I could become in the flesh. And so in this case, with, with Paul, he's telling this story, and some of you may be wondering, three heavens, the idea is that, that this, this earth and sky, when God separated the heavens and the earth, this earth and sky is one heaven. Universe, everything we can see with a, a telescope is second heaven. And then third heaven refers to paradise or, or heaven heaven, like you and I might describe. And so today you will be with me in paradise. In Revelation, it speaks of paradise. And, and so he's saying, hey, I was elevated. I, I, I got to this place to where I saw and I heard wonders of heaven. And, and I'm not even able to speak them here. But, but the Lord saw that I was becoming conceited. And so he sent a messenger, it says, of Satan. This is also another truth that you and I need to think about. Is that sometimes the, the pain that you're going through, sometimes we give Satan too much credit. But if the Lord sent the messenger through Satan. How many of our negative situations that we've been through in life, are we chalking up and just saying, oh, that was the devil? But maybe that hardship, maybe that brokenness, maybe that time when God had to humble you and keep you from becoming conceited, maybe that place, maybe that, 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 that thorn in your flesh, maybe it was attributed to Satan, or Satan was allowed to, to have access to you like, like Job for a season. But maybe that isn't where it stops. Maybe it's God's using it to reform us and break us down and help us to walk with a limp. And so the unredeemed eight can come across and say, I've got no weaknesses at all. And if you don't try to get to know the eight, here's what happens. You're going to become so afraid or so fearful to get entangled. You don't want the wrath of the eight. And so what will happen is it's a danger for everybody because the eight has, is kind of oblivious. But then if people look at the eight and just go, wow, that's such a big personality, then they don't want to get close enough to get to know the eight. And so they'll make assumptions about the eight. And in the meantime, the eight is sitting there saying, hey, I've got thorns. I, 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 the Lord's broken me already. And yes, I may be oblivious to, to stepping on other people's toes, but man, why don't you just stop and ask me about my pain? And what I've seen is that many times with the eights in our life, we won't take the time to get to know the eight and look at the underbelly of the turtle long enough to realize there is a sensitive side. But we'll blame the eight because they're so big and so aggressive. 
And so everybody in this room is responding to hurt. Everybody. When you lock eyes with a human, you're locking eyes with a child of God who has the fingerprints of God, the Imago Dei, and you're also locking eyes with a person that's been hurt by the flesh and the sins of this world. You can guarantee that. Now, how we respond to that and why we do what we do is often a reaction or overreaction to those stimuli, to usually those pains. But you look at, you look at Paul here, and, and as he's wrestling through, he's working really hard with his words. To, to, he says, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to boast. But if I did go on boasting, it, it wouldn't be bad. On behalf, I'm going to boast, but on my own behalf, I won't boast except in my weaknesses. And he says, look, there's been a thorn in the flesh, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, Satan to buffet me or harass me to keep me be- from becoming conceited. Paul's wrestling with this idea of what do I do when I'm the leader and I have strength and I have something that's uniquely given to me, but I understand that the way I would use it in my past life would be very harmful to others. And so in the other side of grace, when you step into grace, you can care and share with gentleness. And you can see how Paul's walking through this and wrestling through this, even as he's speaking this great truth. He's trying to get to a greater point, which is beautiful. But it's in this wrestling you could tell that this is somebody that's a strong, 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 strong leader trying to scale it down so that they don't come across as who they used to be in the flesh. If you're an eight in this room, if you're aggressive, assertive, you've been accused of being too much, I want to encourage you to jump into grace. God's not going to harm you the way that people have harmed you. And grace says, you know what, God, you're my protector. You're my provider. You're my defender. You're the one that stands for me. I don't have to be loud all the time. I don't have to be aggressive all the time. I don't have to always be assertive. What I can do is I can be in grace. In grace. And if I'm in grace, I can care and share with others with gentleness. Three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Church, I got news for you. When life feels out of control, we can see that God is in control. When life is feeling out of control, he looks and he goes to God three times, it says. Three times. And I got news, some of you guys have been praying for things multiple times. And you're just like, Lord, why don't you hear me? Why don't you hear my cry? Why don't you change this situation? Maybe it's not the situation that God wants to change. Maybe it's you. Now, how much more does Paul got to do? Paul went from from, um, stoning Stephen to to turn it around to lead the New Testament, to being one of the apostles. He had to defend himself in front of all the other apostles that didn't want anything to do with him. All of the people in the church were scared of him. And here he is, and now he's writing, and now he's trying to, he's trying to break his words down so little. And he's like, hey, I don't want to be conceited, but man, this is a big, big thing. I wouldn't be bragging. And he, you can see this wrestling match of Paul trying to fit himself and, and to say, look, I'm being gentle here. But let me tell you, I went to the Lord, and he gave me this, this thorn, and I went to him three different times. There are teachers that'll say, well, if you just have more faith, God would remove all of your thorns. There are teachers today that are raking in millions of dollars on television, peddling this garbage. 
that if you just had faith, your life would be better. If you just had faith, your finances would improve. If you just had faith, no, no, no. What are you talking about? This guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy had a huge, um, blinding transformation. This guy went through shipwrecks and didn't abandon the Lord. This guy was going blind. See what big words that I write you. And he's the guy that's saying, hey, Lord, can, can you take this pain from me? And he sought him three times. And the Lord didn't. And so he still had this vulnerability. He still had this pain. You go read and study about what this pain was. You're going to hear all kinds of stuff. Because we don't fully know. I think it's a gift sometimes that we don't fully know what the Scripture is alluding to in some places like this. Because you know why? It makes it relatable for all of us. We don't fully know what Jesus looked like. Praise the Lord. There's people that would misuse His appearance to demean and hurt others. We don't fully know what Paul's problem was. Praise the Lord. Because that way when we have our own thorn in the flesh, we're able to consider this thought. But the idea that, that Paul had a pain that God wouldn't take away, that is biblical. And you might be in a season where you don't fully know why this is still resting with you. And your answer today may not be the pain needs to go. It may be, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When life is feeling out of control, God's saying, you know, my unmerited favor towards you should be sufficient. It's enough. The, the idea of lust for an eight is ever expansion. Ever, ever getting more. Ever doing more. The eight needs to hear my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My power. Talk about an eight. Power, leadership, authority. And God says, you know, my power. My power. Do you want to know where my power comes from? You want to know where my power is made known? You want to know where my power is made perfect? In what? Weakness. So that when you look and you say, Lord, I don't know, I, I feel vulnerable. I don't like feeling weak. I don't, I don't like not being in control. And the aide is sitting there and saying, Lord, this isn't comfortable for me. And he looks and he goes, you know what? It's in that moment when my power comes in. Not your power anymore. My power. And, and if you're an eight in the room, or if you know some strong people that you think might be eights, there is an underbelly to them where they need to get a hold of the power of God and realizes that it's, it's in our weakness that He's made strong. He's sufficient for us. His power is good enough. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. And so what is Paul's reply? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. The, 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 the challenge for the eight is I don't want to reveal my vulnerabilities because if I display to you where I'm weak, you may hurt me. And so if there's a chink in the armor, 
that could be exploited, I don't want to tell you where that is. Because in my past, I've been hurt when people saw weakness. So I'm going to project an armor. And I'm going to walk in the armor and I'm not going to let anyone close. And then God looks down to the eight and says, dear eight, if what you want is power, you have to understand that, that my power is made perfect in your weakness. You've got to expose your weakness to me. And you've got to bring your weakness and understand that I will fill that up with my power. You think you're powerful? How about speaking the universe into existence power? How about raising the dead type of power? How about um, going to the cross to be the propitiation for all sin of all humans for all time who will trust in me? How about that power? How about the power to raise in the second coming all who are in Christ and bring them home? How about that power? You want that power? Yeah, it comes by you getting in touch with weakness. Oh. I thought I was powerful. So dear eight, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, Paul says, so that, why should we do that? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. We all have a desire in some way, shape, or form to be strong, to be in control, to have it together. And it may not express itself as the eight always does, but what the eight needs to hear is that it's okay to have a weakness. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to sometimes not be in control. Because it's in those places that you're revealing pockets where the Lord Jesus can come in and demonstrate His power. Christian maturity means finding strength in and through our weaknesses. Do you know what the flesh, the world, tells us every day? You're traveling through an airport. You're going to Barnes & Noble. You're searching on the top Amazon books. You know what most of the highest selling books are? In the category of what? Self-help. Here's how you can be better. Here's how you can help yourself. Here's how you can be stronger, smarter. Here's how you can lead the pack. Here's how you can run that meeting. Here's what you can do, what you can do, what you can do. And then here God is saying, you know what, Christian? You can reveal that you don't have it all together. You can reveal that you have some weaknesses about yourself. You can become comfortable in your brokenness. And the world is telling you, you know what? As you're going through college, those of you going, what you're being told right now is, hey, put your resume out there and put your best foot forward and don't display and kind of, and, and when people ask about your weaknesses, it's asked in every interview and everybody lies. What's your greatest weakness? Uh, I care too much. I, I tend to show up to work early. And the world is saying, you know what? Don't ever, ever, ever expose any weakness in you. And the Lord says, no. 
Understand that you have weakness, but understand that my power is made perfect when you acknowledge your weakness. Because it's when you can say to me, Lord, I am not strong in this area. Then when I show up, and when I show out, and when I do a God thing that only God can do, you've got no business left except to turn around and say, Lord, I knew it was you. Because I've admitted that I'm weak. I've admitted that I'm broken. I've admitted that I'm poor in spirit. I've admitted that I don't have it all together, Lord. And so eights in the room or anyone that has some eight tendencies, guess what? When you admit that you have brokenness, when you admit that you have weakness, when you learn to become gracious with other people's brokenness and weakness, then and only then you can look around and you can start to see the God of the universe interjecting himself in all these cases. And you look back and you go, oh man, I know that had to be God. But as long as you walk this life thinking that you control everything and that you can be in control and no one can ever hurt you and you have no problems whatsoever and you're in denial with your whole life, as long as you do that, you're going to miss out on the presence and the power of God. Because if you fill every hole where you find weakness, there's no room for him. But if you will come and say, Lord, here's my weakness. Here's where I don't do it well enough. Here's where I don't get it together all the time. Here's where I have some some hang-ups and habits. And Lord, please invade this space and fill it because I can't do it. It's when you do that, then you can see the power of God move in your life. Many people are missing out on the power of God because they only want to talk about the mountaintop experiences and they never want to deal with the valleys. And that's every personality type. But my friend, as a Christian, a mature Christian, you start to become mature with your weakness. You start to say, it's okay. Here's what I know about everybody in this building. When I go out in the hallway, if I were to spend five minutes with each of you, we would be able to agree on there's some weakness there. And that's okay. But, a, but, a, but a un, an unredeemed eight would use all of those weaknesses and exploit everybody around them and run them over like a tractor. But a redeemed date says, hey, it's cool. I know you have weaknesses. And I know I have weaknesses. So I'm going to approach you with grace and with mercy. And I'm going to give some margin for the weaknesses in other people's lives. I'm not going to be so quick to judge. I'm not going to be so quick to beat up. I'm not going to be so quick to exploit and find openings. I'm going to give a lot of room because I've come to grips with my own vulnerabilities. And I know that when I'm weak, he's made strong. So you and I, my friends, we can understand that vulnerability is possible when your strength comes from the Lord. He's your protection. He's your portion. He's your strength. Amen.